Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Big government has been a big problem going at least back to the Civil War, but it really took off in the 20th century and then appears to have gone into hyperdrive here in the last 20 years or so. This is something that needs to be addressed because while there's lots of problems with big government, there's one particular big problem when it comes to big government. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this week, episode 121 of the Liberty Cafe. Hi, my name is Bill Peacock, and it's a blessing to have you here listening with me on the Liberty Cafe. As it is every week, we also are blessed to have the Texas Scorecard folks as our sponsor. Go over there to texasscorecard.com and, and read what they're writing about in the Texas legislature in particular. Listen to the podcast and find out more about the battle for liberty and, and fighting off oppression here in Texas. And, and really, they've got some good stuff just covering all the United States. So today we're going to talk about the problem with big government, the big problem with big government. There's lots of them, like I said in the intro, but we have to kind of take this in stages because the first problem with big government is people, right? The, the, the problem with big government begins with the problem with people. And, and that shouldn't surprise us all if we've watched many people throughout our lives. You know, if you go over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, Peter tells us that we are supposed to live as people who are free, not using our freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. That is really great advice, but unfortunately, all of us struggle in taking that advice and living that way because we have this this problem, and it's uh, called sin. You know, and if we look back into uh, the Bible, back in the book of Judges, uh, where the, the people of Israel had been led into the uh, promised land by Joshua and had conquered the promised land, but then Joshua died and the people reverted to their pagan ways, worshiping idols and those kinds of things, instead of following the God who delivered them out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. And so uh, Judges tells us that when, whenever the, a judge died, whether it was Joshua or the ones that came after him, uh, the people turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. Well, Augustine, a great church father who looked at this very closely, uh, called this concept original sin. Right? That, that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden uh, and disobeyed God by eating the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned against him, but they not only sinned against him, but brought us all down into sinfulness. And so when we're born, we're not innocent children. We're already guilty, and we're already sinful and corrupt. And, uh, and Augustine expressed this by saying, this evil itself took its rise from the evil will of the first man, so that there is no other or origin of sin but an evil will. So th that's unfortunately where we start. Romans chapter 3 tells us more about this as well. None is righteous, no, not one. We, we don't have our own righteousness. The only way we can get righteousness is through Jesus Christ. 
but we have none at all. Unfortunately, even those who have been called to faith and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior still struggle with this problem because we still have our, our fleshly sin problems. And so when we have government, we have problems, right? But the, there's one big problem with government. It starts with the people, but it, it goes into the fact that government wants to be like God. That has been the case throughout history. What we see in our society today is nothing new, but it, it is being quite apparent today, perhaps more so than it has been in a long time. But we can look back to Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, in the Bible, back in, in Daniel chapter 4. You know, you, you may recall the story, Nebuchadnezzar sat up in um, the tower in his in his palace in Babylon and looked out over the city and said, is this not great Babylon, which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Well, if you know the story, immediately after that, he became insane. God made him insane, and he spent the next seven years living as an animal, eating grass out in the wildness, because God visited him and, and essentially told him that, no, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't build great Babylon, I did. It is my mighty power, and it is for my glory and majesty. And once uh, Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled enough in his insanity and animal likeness, then he was restored to power. But this is a problem that government has all the time. The government wants to be autonomous. That is mean, means a law unto itself. It does not want to people, and, and of course this is people problem because government is just made up of people, whether it's a king like Nebuchadnezzar or a president or a governor or, or policemen or legislators, whoever it might be. Governments today especially are getting to the point where they don't want to recognize God as the true source of law and to the law and the source that they have to answer to. They just want to be the final authority over everything and make decisions for us and for themselves without looking to God's law and the authority that has come to them, not unto themselves because of themselves, but because of God. You know, Christ talked about this too in uh, Matthew 22, where he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Of course, this was they were the Pharisees were trying to trick him by putting him in a situation by to say that either the Jews should pay taxes to Rome, then the Jews would get mad at Jesus, or they shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, and then the Romans would get mad at Jesus. But instead, he called over and asked them for a coin, and they brought out the coin, and he asked them whose image was on it, and they said, well, Caesar's, and that's when he rendered his, um, his, his wise statement. Right? But the problem is today is that government and culture around it is trying to eradicate the image of God in everything, right? Uh, for instance, eradicate marriage. God created us man and woman, male and female, and brings us together in marriage. Well, if you can get rid of male and female and call uh, marriage something 
you know, between man and man or woman and woman or between this and that or the other, then there's a big hunk of the image of God just disappearing from society. And it's happening all throughout society. And so what they're trying to do, if they can eradicate the image of God, then all of a sudden we have to render everything to Caesar rather than to God. And, you know, most things I would say that ultimately everything belongs to God because everything has come from God. And so even when we have to pay taxes and things like that, there is still the authority of God that we have to de- they have to deal with over there. And they shouldn't be taxing us to pay for some things. They shouldn't be taxing us as much as they are. Those are all violations of this uh, statement by uh, Jesus when he's dealing with that. Well, of course, um, one of the problems, specific problems we have to deal with with um, government is the rulers. Because as I said, government's not just a thing. It's just people who are in the government. And particularly, we have this problem with rulers in government. And, and we can go way back into the Bible to find things like this. The people in Israel wanted a king instead of God. God was going to bring them a king. He was going to bring them King David. There's nothing wrong with civil government and the heads of civil government because God ordained those things. But they didn't want a godly king over them. They wanted their own king that they chose. And without God's okay and waiting in God's time. And so they they were pulling towards uh, Saul. And uh, Samuel, using God's words, you know, just spoke to them and said, Okay, I'm gonna God says you can have this, but this will be the ways with the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons, your daughters, the best of your fields and vineyards, he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and you shall be as slaves. Well, that, that sounds pretty familiar, I think, to what we are going seeing going on around us today, except wouldn't it be nice if the government only took a tenth of our grain and our vineyards? Uh, it, it takes much more than that today. Uh, a few years later, uh, Solomon had died, and his son Rehoboam became king. And the, and the people just asked him, said, your father Solomon put heavy burdens on us, taxes and labor in building the temple and the palace and the walls of Jerusalem. Would you lighten our yoke? And Rehoboam responded, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I would suggest leaders are still like that today. And unfortunately, we can't just blame leaders for all this, however. Because ultimately, particularly in our form of government here in the United States, we select our leaders. So if we don't like the policies we're getting out of Washington, D.C. or Austin, Texas, where I happen to live in the state of Texas, we have little to blame but ourselves, right? I mean, if we don't like the policies of Barack Obama, well, we Americans send him up there. If we don't like the policies of the Republican uh, House or the Democratic Senate, we're the ones who sent them up there. If we don't like the policies of Greg Abbott or Dan Patrick, we're the ones who sent them up there. We're the ones who sent the the members to the Texas House of Representatives who elected Dade Phelan. If we don't like that, really, we, we can find fault in them, and truly that would be fine, 
but we still have to remember we're the ones who keep sending the same people up there over and over again, or clones of those people over and over again, and continue to get the, the bad policies that we have today. You know, the Founding Fathers took great steps to, to address this problem because they understood the problem of, of human original sin. And, and when you put power into one place, they realized, like Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So they put in, 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 in things that are very familiar to us, terms that are very familiar to us, checks and balances, federalism, uh, separation of powers, all those kinds of things. But unfortunately, those things haven't worked very well because the very things that they were concerned about in setting up our national government, our federal government, um, have come to pass largely. We have the type of government that they couldn't have imagined today with the, most of the power is centralized and localized in the, in the federal government. So that, that takes us back to the point, I think, that we have to think about what's the purpose of government, right? And, and I think the, the founding fathers had a very good understanding of that. You know, if you talk to um, Thomas Jefferson, for instance, what would he say the answer to that is? Well, he, he wrote it down for us. He said, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So the only reason we were supposed to have government, that government was instituted, was to secure our rights. These rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or others might call it life, liberty, and property. Uh, I, I would put it to that... Um, the purpose of government is to secure our God-given obligations and rights. Not very different than uh, Thomas Jefferson. I just think it's important to put obligations in there because a lot of people are running around claiming rights today. But the only rights we really have are, are because we're made in the image of God. And, and so the, the rights that we have are really the function of the obligations that God puts on us in relationship to others. So why do I have a right to life? Because other people don't have a right to take my life, you know, unless there are some specific things going on. Other people don't have the right to take my liberty. Other people don't have the right to take my property. And, and so those are the rights that I have. So really, when I'm considering my rights, it's really about my obligations to others and theirs to me. And so I think that's important to note so that we don't go starting around thinking like we're, we deserve all this stuff and we deserve oh, free health care or free education or uh, free wages, you know, higher wages than we, than we could earn on a marketplace, those kinds of things. And so we, we really need to focus on these, 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 um, these, these obligations that we have rather than the rights that we have because I think it helps put the proper balance and perspective in place as we are focusing on government. So unfortunately, uh, you know, when we come to the U.S. Constitution, we already see some flaws in this concept of um, that government was instituted to secure our rights. And, you know, Constitution is a good document, but it's, it's not 
infallible and it's not perfect and it's not God breathed like scripture. So anything that's not the Bible, we need to look at for its flaws and how we can improve it. And one of the things I think that is wrong with the uh, the Constitution is it's kind of built out, it's very Christian in its origins. And people who would say that the United States of America is not Christian in its origins are just wrong. Nonetheless, uh, there, there was an effort by people leading up to the founding of our country and the, and the writing of the Constitution to secularize what the church had learned, particularly through the Protestant uh, Reformation, because those folks had a problem. The Protestant reformers had a problem. They saw Romans 13 and other passages of the Bible that said, well, you need to honor and respect and submit to uh, civil authorities. The, the problem they were having, though, was that those civil authorities were trying to murder them. And so that made them think very deeply about not just a few passages of Scripture, but the whole Bible and what it said to um, about this. And so they developed this concept called covenant theology, wherein the foundations of man's relationship with God and man's relationship with government was all built on a covenant between God and man. And basically the covenant was, obey me, obey my rules, and I will bless you. And when we broke that and, and violated that covenant, God kept it for us by sending his son. And Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ kept those rules. And therefore, those who are Christian can come back in within covenant with God and have those blessings. But all men are still under the covenant, whether you're Christian or not. And we all have the obligations and responsibilities to do that. And so there was this covenant that secured our rights through civil government. God created civil government to help protect his people and, and the rights that he had given them, the obligations that he had given them, and the purposes he had given them to fulfill being fruitful and multiplying those kinds of things. But then, so to get, to, to have government was here just to secure these obligations and rights. But then we had some philosophers come along, uh, Hobbes, uh, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, and then Rousseau came along after them. And basically said, no, 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 it's not this covenant with God, it's this social contract. And we form governments through this social contract where we, you know, we're out in this state of nature and people can kill us and maim us and steal and rob us and do all these kinds of things to us. So we have to give up some of our rights to join this social contract so the government can take away some of our rights, but protect for the purpose of protecting the rest of them. And, and that's the idea of the social contract. And, and we can see the problem with that today in that the government is constantly these days trying to protect us and, and largely to protect us from ourselves. So they locked us down in our homes. They shut down businesses, right? They do all kinds of things to protect us, but really most of the protections they're doing, these are also laws on you know, consumer protection laws and, and, you know, all kinds of things like that and engaging in regulation of the market. But what they are really doing, they're not protecting us, they're taking away our rights. Whereas the, the foundation of government is clearly 
from a covenant perspective, protecting our rights so we can do the things that God wants us to do. We don't have to give up any rights to, to get the protection of government. But that's the way, that was the foundation for, for some of the, um, the U.S. Constitution. Again, had a lot of Christian roots in there. The foundation of our country was clearly Christian and Christian-oriented, but there were still problems when we get to that point. And you can just see that in the Constitution. For instance, when you get to the, um, the, the Mayflower Compact, for instance, uh, the first founding document that was written in America, or at least on the waters over coming to America, the Mayflower Compact starts, In the name of God, Amen. The Declaration of Independence talks about nature's God, the Creator, the Supreme Judge of the world. The Massachusetts Constitution of 1780 said that you have to be a Christian in order to hold office. But by the time we get to the Constitution in 1787 and 88, the Constitution starts off with we the people instead of in the name of God. And so they've, they've adopted this social contract theory, and I think we, we are suffering from these things still today. Well, so that's the big problem with government. And, and I don't want to minimize other problems we have with big government. You know, we, we've got massive growth in um, taxes and government spending. We have drag shows running all over the place that the government seems, even in Texas, seems pretty happy to... Uh, think this just it's okay to do. We've got the council cut culture, again with the support of government. We've got FBI and the public corruption. Uh, we have uh, Democrats who leave town every time we try and do something right here in Texas. Those are important and they need to be dealt with. But but ultimately, dealing with those things turns into whack-a-mole. You, you know, one you pop down, you knock down one, and the other one pops back up. We've got to do that, but if we don't step back and look at the bigger problem with government, then we're, we're never going to be able to solve all these little problems. You know, one of the things we, we need to do is we need to stop the growth of government. As long as government keeps growing, they're going to have more resources to regulate us and oppress us, right? The more money they have, the more money they spend, the worse it is off for us. So, if you don't, if you think government's too big already, it doesn't need to grow anymore. It needs to start shrinking. But let's just start with a modest goal, and just let's don't let government grow anymore. Stop government spending growth, which, by the way, would stop government tax growth because they only tax us to pay for what they spend. And if they stop spending as much or they keep it the same and then start declining, we our taxes would go down. You know, we have all this. Stuff going on in the capital, Texas capital today about lowering our property taxes. Well, at the same time, they're trying to put some money aside to lower our property taxes. There's the Texas legislatures, legislators are spending more of our money on other stuff. How, that doesn't work. And they're allowing local governments to spend more of our money. So it, it's a Ponzi scheme is what it is. Hey, we're going to lower your property taxes while we're going to keep spending your money over here. It just doesn't work. So we've got to stop that. But beyond that, we have to step back behind that and not just make government small, but by making sure that government is truly limited government and not in, not autonomous government, that it's here to serve the purposes of God, 
we need to put into reality, into action, Christ's statement, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. Now, we need to recognize that, as it says in, in Revelation, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, right? And so the way to do that, ultimately, and this is the solution to the big problem with big government, first is to worship God. We need to worship God in our hearts. We need to worship him in our families. We need to worship him in our churches, and we need to do it the way he's told us to do it in the Bible. The second thing I'd suggest we need to do is acknowledge and submit to Christ as our Lord and King. You know, Jesus Christ is the King of all creation. He's the King of the United States. He's the King of Texas, and he's the King of whatever county or city you live in. Right? There, there's no way around that. We live in a monarchy, and, and we need to worship and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our King every day. Then the, the next thing we need to do is we need to bring the whole counsel of God to the public square. We, we as activists and our public policy officials, our po politicians, our elected officials, need to bring Scripture to bear on the public policy problems that we have today. We need to be talking about that. When we're in a committee hearing, us activists need to go in there and testify and say, this here, Galatians chapter 5 or Romans chapter 13 or Psalms chapter, uh, Psalm 2 says this, and this is why this policy that you're promoting, Mr. Politician, is good or bad. And we need them to be coming forward too on the same thing. If we're not using the Word of God to inform the debate, we're going to lose uh, liberty every time. And then finally, right along those same lines, we need to develop public policies that apply God's world, word to the societal problems we face. Right? So we need to be talking about God's word, but then we need to take and develop these policies in ways that meet the purposes that God has made us for, meet the standards and the laws that God has provided to us. Because, you know, people say, oh, no, you can't do that because you've got a theocracy. Well, here's, here's really our choice on that. We can either live according to God's laws or according to man's laws. And my question would be to those of you who have spent any time observing this world, which do you think are better? The laws that are passed by the United States Congress and the Texas legislature and the city of Austin are the laws that are given to us by God. I, I think the answer to that is pretty clear. And as we, as people, both Christians and non-Christians, start submitting to God's law and recognizing its beauty and its ability to bring blessings to us, I think we will be moving in the right direction to bringing true peace and true harmony and true wealth and prosperity to our society today. Well, thank you once again for joining me on the Liberty Cafe. It's been great having you here today. And as always, it's been great uh, being sponsored by Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.